We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. But thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live, everyone. I am Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, as we are streaming this episode of Sox Machine Live really late. Okay, it is currently 1030 at night, Thursday night. August 5th, 2021, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their series and the game against the Kansas City Royals, and they end up losing the Thursday night game 3-2 to Kansas City, uh, and not finding a way to hit against Daniel Lynch. Uh, Jose Abreu is on his streak right now. He's on one of these RBI streaks, and he has hit home runs in back-to-back games. Um, But in this episode of Sox Machine Live, we're going to talk about the White Sox last 20 games because they are slugging uh, since the All-Star break. They are now 9-11 since the All-Star break, and they have only scored 76 runs since the All-Star break. So for those that enjoy math, they're averaging 3.8 runs per game. I'll get into why that is uh, not a good thing for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. And we also have what is typically an exciting point of any season for the Chicago White Sox is this Crosstown Classic where they get an opportunity to face the Chicago Cubs. Uh, We'll talk about on how there is perhaps the most, or I should say the least amount of buzz heading into this series uh, for the White Sox and the Cubs. But Jim, uh, I guess we're going to have to start right away with what we just watched as far as this series. It it appeared to be a pretty promising series because the White Sox just blew up the Kansas City Royals on Tuesday. And then the offense shuts down again. And that's been the problem for the White Sox since the All-Star break. Mm -hmm. It's great that Craig Kimbrell is part of the White Sox. And Ryan Tapera has looked really good in his last two outings for the White Sox. These guys don't hit. And the White Sox, as I mentioned, are <laughs> nine and eleven since the All Star break. They have scored just seventy six runs, and they have allowed eighty six runs. So that's a negative ten run differential. Mm-hmm. And in the twelve of their last twenty games, they have scored three or fewer runs. 
And the reason why that's significant is that in 2021, the Chicago White Sox are 12-35 and 35 when they score three or fewer runs in a game this season. This is a team that, this, despite having one of the strongest starting pitching staffs in all of Major League Baseball, just functions better when they score four or more runs. Mm-hmm. And honestly, every most teams in Major League Baseball are like that. But the White Sox struggle to win games when the offense isn't generating four or more runs in a game. What are your thoughts about the way that the Chicago White Sox are currently playing since the All-Star break? And is this generating any, as far as maybe medium-term concerns as far as the rest of the season? Well, I think the second half numbers, when you look at these splits for what the White Sox are doing at an individual level, uh, they speak for themselves. Like When you see that there are only two hitters with an OPS above 800, one is Jose Abreu at 837, but he's hitting 209. So if it feels like an unsatisfactory performance so far, you know, it is. It's it's uneven. He has some good at-bats, then he has some at-bats, like the one that uh, his last one on Wednesday where he watched the slider go to the screen and didn't even run the first. He like looked over his left shoulder. It's like, meh. <laughs> he just kept yeah, he was, walking. That yeah. was a, I am over this. Yes. I am done with this game. I am going home. Yeah. Peace, everyone. Yep. And and so <laughs> then you have Tim Anderson, who's got an OPS of 747, which isn't bad, but he's got an OBP of 260 from the leadoff spot. So that's another case where, you know, 747 can take different shapes and can be productive for some hitters and, and not others. But in his case, like he's slugging okay. He's got four homers since the uh, since the this start of the second half, but he's getting on base 260, which is yeah maybe about even in this era probably probably about like 60 points below what you want to see for an uh, a leadoff man. So that explains like the first inning problems that the White Sox had and, and not scoring a run in the first inning since uh, late July before Obreu's homer tonight. So Andrew Vaughn is really the only guy when you look at his line, 290, 362, 452, who's hitting the way you want and hitting consistently across enough at bats that he's not giving away too many. And I think you throw in like Adam Angle, who's looked a little bit uh, wobbly, uh, especially uh, he had a he had a game to forget. Uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez yeah. looked rusty. Uh, the catchers, I think, are finally starting to crack, showing the strain of uh, being relied upon to fill in the shoes of uh, Yasmani Grandal. And I think when Grandal comes back, I think a lot of people who might have been tired of him or thinking that he can do better, I think, will be. Well, kind of better understand exactly why the White Sox paid him what they did, <laughs> because uh, his value, whether receiving, whether getting on base, whether having productive at bats, even when he's not in a groove himself, uh, that goes a long way from this lineup. So there are some concerns. Uh, I think right now, uh, you know, I would say it's a little bit refreshing that they're losing games, but not losing ground in the standings. They're not giving up ground in the standings. They're, mm-hmm. uh, every time you look at the standings, they're ahead nine and a half games. Like Cleveland just refuses to, uh, you know, freeze the magic number. So I think, you know, they're, they're having, I think, a, a poor enough showing at the plate to where they're not going to get comfortable with the way they're, you know, probably going to win the Central. Like, I don't think they're... Uh, I imagine they understand that they're the, they have a 99% chance of going to the postseason. But I think, you know, when you have a start at the second half like this and you have two series against Kansas City like this, that it does uh, have a wake-up call of sorts. And and I think they're f- keeping their fingers crossed that Jimenez knocks off the rust and Luis Robert comes back and Grandal comes back. But for the time being, um, you know, it's a little bit nervous <laughs> just watching them. And because, uh, you know, there is a lot of baseball um, 
left to be played. So if they're tired now, you know, you just hope that Larusa can give them the days off. And if they're battling through any nagging injuries, they're not talking about. You hope that they're they're able to heal up. And I posted this earlier today on Twitter. And if you're not following me on Twitter and you do have Twitter, you could do so at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And of course, follow us at Sox Machine as well. Uh, what I what I tweeted out earlier today was the American League Central standing since June 1st, Jim, because that's that's a significant amount. I mean, we're talking about two plus months of games uh, from June 1st to the present. And with the loss, the Chicago White Sox are 30 and 24 since June 1st. That winning percentage doesn't match up what their full season winning percentage is because they had an outstanding month of May where they went 19 and 10, but they're above 500. That's a 91 pace. The Cleveland Indians slash Guardians are 22 and 30 since June 1st. So uh, that's why the White Sox can play as poorly as they have the last 20 games, and they're not losing any games in the standings to Cleveland. Uh, meanwhile, Detroit is 29 and 26, and uh, oh boy, uh, this weekend series between Detroit and Cleveland got a lot interesting. Uh, in the American League Central standings. If Cleveland continues to struggle, Detroit has an opportunity with a sweep to leap Cleveland uh, for second place mm-hmm. in the AL Central. Detroit's the only team in this division that's making ground on the Chicago White Sox, and they're like 11 and a half games back of the White Sox right now. So that's why even though the White Sox have not played very well over the last 20 games, it is not... A, the sky is falling. Oh my God, they're going to lose the American League Central. No, that's I don't think that's going to be the case. But this was a P.O. Sox question that we had on Monday where we were asked, Jim, you know, how hard should the White Sox push to have home field advantage? And we broke it down in the sense that the White Sox are a different team when they play at home. Uh, they look to be a much stronger team when they play at home. So it would be beneficial if they had either the number one or the number two seed. So they're they're not only having two home games in that five-game series to start off the American League Divisional Series. Because uh, if they're going to start on the mm-hmm. road, I got a bad feeling, Jim. I know we referenced Star Wars because I asked what it was I watching earlier today when Sebi Zavala uh, had back-to-back pitches that it looked like he was crossed up with Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, and you, you thought maybe I was watching Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, but to, to take that catchphrase from Star Wars, I got a bad feeling about this. If the White Sox were to start the postseason on the road, I, my bad feeling is that they're already down 0-2 before they get home. Uh, and that would be a terrible situation to be in in a five-game series. But that's still a couple months away. And mm-hmm. I, I do think in the last tw- in these last 20 games, if someone were to ask what is the bad case scenario for the White Sox of the postseason – you're seeing it in this series against Kansas city. They start off red hot. They get a fantastic pitching performance from Dylan cease. And you think, Oh, this is going to be easy. And then the next two games are clunkers. And that's what it just kind of feels like since the, that's the Oakland series. That's the wild card series last year. It is. Yeah. Cause Lucas Giglio had what a perfect game through six. And yeah, I was feeling pretty good about that series after game one. And then, yeah. Yeah. So it's a very vivid uh, illustration. It's uh, it's just, I guess I'm looking at the standings right now. And I'm looking at Cleveland, 52 and 54. 
they would be fourth place in every other division. <laughs> Even Atlanta and the NL, the NL East is a mess, but Atlanta's 54 and 54 in third place. Cleveland is 52 and 54. They would be uh, in the cellar in the AL East. Uh, Toronto is fourth at 57 and 49. Actually, they would be uh, last in the AL West too. Like, yeah, they just, it's, uh, yeah. Everything they would is, be last in the AL West? Yeah. Uh, the Angels are now up to 55 and 54. Well, what about Texas? Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, they would be. Have uh, we fifth. have yeah, we sorry, kicked we, out uh, the Texas Rangers? Yeah, I would say they'd be fifth. They would be like if, if they were the fifth team instead of Texas, they would be fifth. They're four teams better. That's what I was saying. Every, same with, same sorry, Texas. The AL East. Yeah, they would be. Uh, they would be fifth. They had a Baltimore, but behind Toronto in the AL East. So that's just everything is really working out well for the White Sox, and you really just hope that they don't take this you know for granted. And, and that's why I think you know there there is some benefit just to playing poorly and, and playing you know poorly for a sustainable amount of time to where you just realize like okay you know just this can't be the case and so you know I, I think it's you can work through some stuff you can maybe reorder the lineup you know maybe give Anderson a day off Cesar Hernandez is work looking pretty good in the two spot like he's mm-hmm. kind of looking like the guy I thought you know maybe not hitting for the power uh hitting some uh, I guess uh you know kind of medium deep fly balls but he's getting on base he's working the count uh so he's getting a base basically twice a game, most games. So I think that's the guy I wanted to see in the second spot. So I don't feel bad about him like batting second and, uh, you know, having, you know, Vaughn batting second, if it's a, a good matchup against a lefty, you just, just kind of shaking things up and, and trying to, especially when Robert comes back, I think there'll be more flexibility to kind of just rotate guys in and out of the top three spots, just to see what they look like and, and maybe give lineups a different look, give hitters a different look give hitters who look tired a day to get off their feet, just their options. And I think there's time to work through it. I think if this continues, you know, through August, that's when I would say like, yeah, this is they're, they're backing in the postseason yet again, which is what they did in uh, 2008. It's what they try to do in, in uh, 2012. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a mess. Like it's just the lack of depth. And I think the White Sox have, you know, they, they've avoided the depth issue for a long time because they've had they, they've sequenced all these wonderful short bursts of excellence like your mean Mercedes to uh, you know Brian Goodwin to Andrew Vaughn to Adam Engel just all these guys kind of you know popping up every two weeks to be a new hero Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger just they've been able to tie these performances together so I think now you're you have two months left and you're wondering like, is anybody left? Is Jake Lamb going to come back off the injured list and provide a second wind? Or, or did he just have one shot at that? That's I think uh, what the White Sox are kind of wrestling with right now. And for the podcast listeners that are listening to this Friday morning, I don't know if they have announced officially what's going on with Jake Lamb because his 20 days is up for rehab. And I believe he is going to be joining the Chicago White Sox this weekend for the series against the Cubs. And we've talked about if that is the move, then more most likely it's Gavin Sheets be an option and sent back to Charlotte in that situation. Uh, Jake Lamb replacing Sheets uh, in on, on the White Sox 26-man roster. Uh, and then Luis Robert, uh, Tony the Russo spoke about Robert before tonight's game. Uh, Robert did hit a three-run homer uh, for the Charlotte Knights. And it sounds like Robert more than likely is not going to be joining the White Sox this series against the Chicago Cubs, uh, that he'll be joining the team when they are going to Minneapolis uh, for the series against the Minnesota Twins. And 
there's, you know, fingers crossed that if everything holds up, Luis Robert will be part of the Field of Dreams game against the New York Yankees uh, next Thursday, and that will be his first home series that Saturday, August 14th. Uh, when Luis Robert is back in center field for the White Sox. The White Sox could have used Luis Robert today in center field. Uh, Adam Engel, just as you mentioned, Jim, he had a game to forget as far as the getting twisted like a pretzel and his home run robbing skills. I think he tweeted this are a bit rusty. He almost robbed that. I tweeted that a couple days ago (laughs) and then retweeted it because it's been a, a couple incidents right now. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's talk about one of the bats that's kind of slow, but we kind of expected it because it's all about timing. He did have a big hit in the eighth inning. Unfortunately, the White Sox were down by two runs at that point, uh, and it didn't carry any more significance. And that's Aloy Jimenez returning to the White Sox. It is a good sign. It is pretty clear that he is still catching up as far as his timing. Uh, It has been a pretty long delay since the last time that he saw Major League quality pitching. I don't know if we want to call AAA pitching Major League quality. Maybe a couple of guys is Major League quality. Uh, But with what you've seen in this series against Kansas City, and he's only played the Royals so far in 2021 because he missed the last series against Cleveland. What are your early thoughts about Aloy Jimenez in 2021, Jim? He's just swinging a lot. He I is think he wants to make things yeah. happen. Like I'm looking at his fan graphs uh, numbers, which doesn't take into account the uh, uh, tonight's game. But yeah, he's swinging more than half the time uh, on pitches out of the zone. He's swinging two thirds of the time, just in general. Like two out of three pitches he's offering at, and that's it's like that. A, it's that high. Sixty-six point one percent. Yeah. Good <laughs> lord. So yeah, it's just you know the zone contact is there, you know where it normally is. Like he's got to probably time it up better and and be able to barrel it. But just you know the uh, just the aggression is there. I, I think a lot of breaking balls he's chasing. Uh, they're throwing a lot of junk. Just getting him out in front foot. Just yeah, you know, that's why I think the the swing that he had on the opposite field double, like following the slider, was not a great slider. It was off the plate, but up. But at least he followed with his bat. He slowed down his swing. And he just guided the ball to right field. And I think, you know, if he's going to be uh, this aggressive and this susceptible to breaking ball heavy pitchers, and I think he probably has to try to think right field early on just in order so he's not just lunging at pitches and getting out ahead and just being in bad hitting position. There was the idea, too, that just, you know, being a DH and not being used to that rhythm because he had to play left field for most of his rehab stint. So there might be that something to that, too. Um, but I imagine even if he were playing left field most of the time, uh, there's just still, still a lot of rust. And, and even when watching him in Charlotte uh, in Winston-Salem and during his rehab stint, just wasn't quite the demolisher of baseballs that uh, he, he was you know, when coming up the system and, and being held out for defense. <laughs> just uh, you know, the, the, the force at all levels. Like He's not quite there yet. And Given the injury and just how many months he's missed, that's understandable. And and maybe there is some benefit to him struggling now, uh, you know, rather than having you know a you know, rehab stint that came a month later and then struggling into you know mid and late September instead. We did get this question in the comments section, uh, and this comes from Twitter. For those that are watching on Twitter, the live stream, hello on Periscope. Shock R asked, "What do you think about shaking up the the lineup?" and you mentioned the the high swing rate for Eloy Jimenez at this moment. Adam Lindoff. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying go Joe Madden, yeah. 
But you also mentioned that Andrew Vaughn's been hitting really well. And Vaughn's been batting the lower third of the lineup. Maybe it's a bit crazy, but is it is it too much pressure to put Aloy Jimenez as the cleanup, cleanup hitter? Because obviously when he's going right, that's where you want him to hit. But as someone mm-hmm. that's trying to get his timing right now and for a White Sox team that's struggling, and they would like to continue to pile up wins, uh, especially as far as now they're more worried about playoff seeding than winning the American League Central. Is it just too much pressure right now to continue to pencil Jimenez in as the cleanup hitter? And perhaps Tony Russa should maybe move Jimenez down a little bit more in the lineup so there's not so much pressure on him to produce. I think that's fair. I, we talked about it before when Jimenez is coming back and trying to figure out where LaRusso would bat him in the lineup. And I said, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he bat him clean up early on just to say, like, hey, we're glad you're back. Here's what we yeah. expect from you. Um, see if you can do it. You know, just early test. Put him where he usually plays, you know, DH notwithstanding, but just in the lineup and see if he can handle it because maybe he can. You know, he is a gifted enough hitter to where just maybe he can make it look more simple than you think uh, for the time that he missed. But now that, you know, he is just kind of swinging out of his shoes at everything, I was kind of, I was joking about the leadoff idea, and then I realized, like, hey, maybe if that forces him to take pitches, <laughs> just like he goes, uh, you know, 0 for 4, 3 strikeouts, but he watches, you know, half the pitches rather than a third of them, uh, that might just help him down the long run. But no, I think it makes sense for, you know, Vaughn to bet, you know, clean up, just, you know, maybe, you know, not, I think the one problem with, uh, you know, knocking Jimenez down is like when you see the at bat that he had in the eighth inning, you know, after unimpressive at bats, you know, that's when you realize like, um, you know, that's why we like this guy coming up, even if he is rusty, because he did have that, you know, massive homer. Uh, he, he did have the double here. So he's come up in some games late, you know, after getting a few at bats, you know, underneath him, he's been able to deliver later in games. Uh, you know, maybe there is something to that where you just feel like he could explode at any time. So you don't want to hold him out when, uh, you know, there's a situation where one swing can change the game. He's the guy, you know, besides maybe Abreu, and depending on what kind of pitcher Abreu is facing, uh, even then maybe you still want Jimenez up there as the one swing to change the game, even if it's just like trying to poke a curveball into the craft cave. Uh, so that's that's why I think, you know, LaRusso might be sticky about him being there, but I wouldn't mind just seeing more flexibility in general, especially during these doldrums, especially when you have a nine and a half game lead to bet Hernandez lead off uh, to have, you know, Vaughn batting cleanup, batting second, having Jimenez batting second, just, you know, getting a more at bats. So if you feel like more at bats will uh, help be helpful, you know, say if they're facing a righty and, and you can get Gavin sheets in there, maybe bet them sixth, you know, just, uh, I think it would be important and, and valuable to not be too beholden to one lineup and if you're flexible enough on a day-to-day basis, or at least like maybe a series-to-series basis, you know, just having like one experimental game a series, at least that doesn't create the pressure that like he needs to be the cleanup hitter. Like he needs to, uh, if he doesn't uh, get it going, if Anderson doesn't get it going in the leadoff spot, we're screwed. Like I think if you have the flexibility to give different looks, I think that avoids having just so much pressure mounting on a couple of spots that guys, you know, like, you know, Anderson is not the prototypical leadoff hitter. Jimenez is rusty. Like, you know, if they're not in great shape to be in those spots, you know, it, I don't think it hurts to get them out of it for a game or two. Yeah. It, again, with the Jose Abreu hitting back-to-back and in back-to-back games, hitting a home run, it would be nice if there were guys on base when he hit those <laughs> home runs instead of the solo shots. Uh, but yeah, right now this White Sox 
offense is just sputtering along. Uh, and one of those players that's sputtering, sputtering along is Yohan Makata. And mm-hmm. the the last 30 days, I mean, this isn't a he's having a bad week or bad 15 days. Yohan Makata is hitting 207, 293 with a 415 slugging in the last 30 days. And that's over a 22-game span. And now for the season, and this has me concerned, Yohan Makata slugging below 400 for the mm-hmm. season, Jim. And he smoked a grounder in the bottom of the eighth inning, I believe, that Carlos Santana made a fantastic play, robbing Mancata of an extra base hit. But that's a ground ball. Like, if Mm -hmm. that ball is hit at a 20-degree angle, it's landing in the seats for a two-run homer. And then we're talking about, we have a different tone that we are yeah. discussing on this show. Yohan Mikata with the game-winning home run. I mean, we're 98 games in for Yohan Mikata in the 2021 season, and he's got nine home runs, mm-hmm. and he's only got 19 doubles. Uh, Andrew Vaughn has more doubles than Yohan Mikata. And yeah. when we were talking about Mikata coming into the season, there was a bit of a concern. Would there be long-term effects of COVID? Because he battled with COVID all last year. And you could see it especially late in the season. I, I still remember that shot vividly of him in Cleveland just being gassed uh, scoring. And that just wasn't Yohan Mikata. Uh, especially the Mikata that we saw in, in 2019. And it, it just feels like for more than a calendar year, we've been hoping, praying, wishing, are we going to see 2019 Yohan Mikata reemerge. It just baffles me that Yohan Mikata, with his strength and his talent, is slugging 394 for someone that posts incredible exit velocity numbers. Like it breaks my brain a bit, Jim, because how can someone have such a low slugging percentage who hits the ball as hard as Yohan Mikata does? And the, the only explanation that I can have is that he just hits too many grounders. And now digging into the data even more, I'm a bit scared because he's being passive again with the four-seam fastball. And he's showing traits of his batted ball and his plate discipline that we saw in 2018. And he's not going back to what was successful for him in 2019 where he was very aggressive and he punished pitchers that try to sneak a fastball by him for an early strike. And I I guess that's the only explanation that I have for someone that should have a lot more power uh, than he has displayed this season. Yeah. The he's kind of in between his uh, COVID self and his like, not even his best form, but his good form, like his good power form from previous years. Like exit velocity has not rebounded all the way. Like it's, it's just a little bit, a tick below like his, his previous years, not his breakout year, but like his 20, uh, 2018. Uh, he's like, just the ground ball rate is up, not dangerously up, not like Tim Anderson up or, or, you know, Eloy Jimenez like right now, just putting the ball on the ground. Like it's okay. It's just, uh, you know, the, the bat just, you know, I, we talked about it before, like when Mankata is right, 
and the bat's whipping through the zone and he's doing the helmet thing where he's he looks like he just he, he's afraid for the people in the right center bleachers um you know just given the strength that he hit it's like that swing isn't there and same thing with the right side the right side swing doesn't look great either so it's yeah, I guess, you know, there, there may be some long-term benefits from COVID, but we've heard about the hand issue. We've heard about a shoulder issue that he's been playing through. So, you know, he's somebody who never, it's hard to gauge him on the field, like when it comes to like reading his facial expressions, reading his body language, because I think he's just kind of stoic at best and oftentimes pained. And, you know, he's not somebody who emits energy on the field, except when he's running at full speed. Like he, I, I think that's sometimes to his benefit, like playing third base, he plays a really relaxed third base and a good one. That's a, that's a case where I don't really like want to see a whole lot of effort <laughs> at third base. I want to see plays made smoothly and you know, th- a nice smooth throwing motion. And, and so third base, I think that that works well for him and the numbers there are great and he's providing a lot of value with his glove work at third. But when it comes to the, the guy you want to see just kind of like put a charge through the crowd that form is not there yet. And it just might be, you know, he just might be playing banged up. And uh, if so, then, you know, that's a case where if we're talking about guys who might be off batting, batting leadoff, like maybe put him up there. If he's passive, if he's not, um, you know, if his speed is still there, but he's not really just able to get lift and not, he's not putting up power numbers, uh, then maybe try him in the leadoff spot. You know, maybe a one-two with having a couple switch hitters with him and Cesar Hernandez up there just to provide a different look, give him a different task list just uh, to, something to do with his at-bats. Like, now it doesn't matter if you're you're driving in runs or you're scoring guys from first. We just need to get on base and then run like hell when you're on. Like, I think that might be something that just might give him a different look and uh, perhaps just a, a different angle for this lineup that kind of needs one. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Mankata as the leadoff hitter, and I, I, I'm liking that, that idea. I don't know. Do I just have too high of expectations, Jim, for Mankata? Because... When I, the eye test, when I'm watching Mankata and when he makes the contact and then you look at the data after the contact, if he's someone that could play 150 games in a season, my expectation is he could have 60 to 65 extra base hits. I'm thinking someone that can maybe pull a 30-30 season, 30 doubles and 30 home runs, or he hits 25 home runs and 35 doubles. I, I just think that he has that power potential, and we've seen it from him over course a full season 2019 where he can provide 60 extra base hits to this White Sox lineup. And right now he's got, what, 29? Yeah, 29 through 98 games. So busting out the calculator... Uh, I mean, what is he on pace for? Maybe 35 extra base hits? So 29 through... <laughs> He's got 29 through the season. He's got 19 doubles, a triple, and a home run. So that's about like 50 or like high 40s. High 40s. For like 150 games you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That's off the top of my head, but yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. If he gets to 50 extra base hits, that's fine. It's just when you look at a season slash line, it it is eye-opening. And maybe it's my expectations. Maybe he just had a breakout year in 2019, uh, but we've seen him in 2017, 2018, 2020. Now we're in 2021. Maybe he's just more of this guy. And he... 44. 44 extra base hits. Okay, that's, uh, that's not good. I just feel like with his type of strength that he has 
And again, the batted ball data, I I don't know. Are my expectations too high for a Makata? Maybe. Like, I think right now, just based on the, the body of work and, and uh, just the his tendency, it seems, to be hurt, not injured, just hurt, uh, not being at the top of his game, not being uh, 100%. I think there's probably like a Mankata who's, you know, 2019 self when he's feeling good, feeling 100% or like 95%. Uh, you know, he's able to summon that kind of power and that kind of breadth of skills that makes him like an MVP, you know, getting MVP votes from James Fegan. But when it comes to like, say, you know, 2018, uh, you know, 2017, you know, even setting aside 2020, just 2021, uh, it's just, he might be a different player when he's at like 80%. You know, he might be somebody who just, if he's not feeling great, if he's, you know, if his, uh, I guess swings are high maintenance when it comes to just being able to get the, generate the bat speed required for him to get that combination of exit velocity and uh, fly ball ability then maybe just uh, the sights need to be set lower. Maybe he can summon that 2019 self for stretches, but maybe the entire season, you just have to count on him like just, yeah, maybe not like, yeah, I'm thinking of guys like Byron Buxton and Grady Sizemore, like guys who are supremely talented but just can't stay on the field. I think Mankata can stay on the field, but the best version of himself can't quite. And, you know, it, that's kind of fleeting. And, and so that's kind of how I'm looking at him right now is like he's still a good guy to have in the lineup. Like he's still valuable especially when you factor in his defense he's a nice well-rounded player but it's almost like you know almost like a well-rounded version of like uh, Adam Eaton like somebody who is just uh you know rather than like say an MVP candidate he's just somebody who you know provides good defense gets on base hits double digit homers like that's kind of the form he's taking right now um yeah I think he's better than a you know 12 13 home run guy I think he's you know you should be able to count him for 20 but still it's just he's just not the 2019 self unless, you know, until he proves that he can do it for, you know, another season, another full stretch, you know, just based on all the wear and tear that he's had. And when you factor in COVID as well in 2020, just all the stuff his body has been through and all the different forms he's taken. It's just, it's, he's a hard guy. I think, I think projection systems are really going to struggle with him. I agree with you on that. Cause in the end for this season, he's going to be a three, three and a half war player. And that that's good. That's good. The White Sox mm-hmm. need as many three war players as they could possibly get their hands on. And I'm not trying to bury Yo and Mikata. He's just I, I I don't know. I have high expectations for him. I I think the world of him as a baseball player and I think he has the ability to be a star in this league where he's posting consecutive seasons of 5 plus war. Uh, I I'm just not seeing it this year and you know, after May, he was already at 2.2 war, according to fan graphs, and he still hasn't hit three war yet, and we are in August. So this isn't just a bad week or two for Yoan Makata. It's a bad couple of months. And again, going back to why are the White Sox struggling since the All-Star break? Why are they 9-11? and 11? Why are, have they scored three or fewer runs in 12 of their last 20 games? Well, it's because partly that Yohan Makata is struggling. And Tim Anderson being the leadoff guy, you know, he's I think he's still hitting over 300, but 
It's just he's not on base when Jose Abreu's hitting the home run, and Jose Abreu's hitting for a lot of power, but not a lot of contact at the moment. And you got Aloy Jimenez trying to get his timing back, and Cesar Hernandez is joining the new team, and and then you look at Andrew Vaughn, and he's hitting, but he might be hitting seventh or eighth in the lineup, and there's nobody on base. It's just it's just out of whack right now for this White Sox offense. And again, it's not doom or gloom. It's a 9-11 and 11 stretch over 20 games, and for this season, yeah, maybe that's a bit disappointing. But the White Sox are not losing any ground in the American League Central because Cleveland has been terrible for a while, and they are now below 500. There's a good chance that the White Sox are the only team in this division with an above 500 record at the end of the season. If you're just a White Sox fan, though, that wants more, and is looking at the White Sox competing for number one or number two seed. I know it's the dog days of summer, but they don't want to lose ground to Tampa and they don't want to lose ground to Houston because that's a tough matchup if they got to face one of those two teams and they got to start that series on the road. You'd like the White Sox to have a better record so at least they are starting the playoffs at home and not on the road and get themselves into a hole that they may not be able to climb out of when we're talking about postseason games uh, six weeks from now or a month and a half away from now uh, as the postseason starts in early October. That's what I was thinking of, like the late 90s AL Central where the Indians had those juggernaut teams. And uh, I was trying to think, what year was it that uh, no team, you know, besides the uh, Cleveland finished above 500? And then I saw that it was like three or four years in a row. <laughs> just they could not summon a challenger to no those teams. Did. Yeah, no one did. Yeah. Great Cleveland teams, terrible American League Central teams during that year. During those years, I should say. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, let's shift gears. So let's try to wipe away this bad taste in our mouths after watching the White Sox and Kansas City, which the Royals have taken five of the last seven games against the White Sox. And the Royals and White Sox season series is now tied eight games apiece. The Chicago White Sox are traveling north nine miles for a three-game series against the Chicago Cubs, a much different-looking Chicago Cubs team since the trade deadline, as they have traded, obviously, Craig Kimbrell and Ryan Tapera to the Chicago White Sox, but Chris Bryant to the San Francisco Giants, Anthony Rizzo to the New York Yankees, Javier Baez to the New York Mets, uh, Andrew Chafin went to the Oakland Athletics. I'm sure they traded a couple of ball boys as well uh, to help lower their operational costs. It's a much different Cubs team. And because of the trades that the Cubs have made and the fact that they're still not playing very good baseball, they just lost a series to the Colorado Rockies. Uh, typically, when these two teams play against each other, and I've lived in the city of Chicago now for more than a decade, there's always a lot of buzz. Even when the White Sox were terrible, there was a lot of enthusiasm and excitement leading up to these games in the city of Chicago. There is nothing, nothing. This is a flat atmosphere that's going on for this series between the White Sox and Cubs. I would not be shocked if there is more talk and excitement about watching Justin Fields, the rookie quarterback of the Chicago Bears during practice. We're talking about practice. Then there is between the White Sox and Cubs. And the White Sox and Cubs are going to be playing a primetime game for the first time in forever, it seems. Uh, the Sunday night game is not going to be on ESPN. They are moving it to ABC. Al Michaels is going to be involved in that broadcast uh, as a way to pay homage to him uh, for entering into the Hall of Fame uh, as he got to enjoy that experience with Hawk Harrelson uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, coming into the series, at, le at the very least, the White Sox are having uh, their co-aces, at least for the 2021 season, starting this series. Uh, the first game is Friday at 1.20 p.m. Central Time. I I'm going to get to that in a moment because I have a rant about the game times for this series. Uh, Lance Lynn is going to start that game against Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks is still pitching well for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, he's got a 3.71 ERA. If you care about win-loss record, he's 13-4, which is a bit eye-opening. Uh, for Saturday, this is a 1.20 p.m. Central Time game. Again, it is Carlos Rodon uh, against a promising young right-hander in Adbert Alose. 
and Alizé's got some premium stuff. Uh, just a bit inconsistent, but again, he's still young. He's got a 4.85 ERA this season. And then on Sunday, hopefully, uh, his start from Kansas City, he could transfer that into Wrigley Field facing his original team. It's Dylan Cease who will be on the mound for that primetime game. That game is going to start at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. And the White Sox are facing Zach Davies, in which if the White Sox do not score at least four runs against Zach Davies, that is not going to be a very fun podcast on Monday that you guys are going to be listening to for me because I do not think he's a very good pitcher. I am not crazy about this 1.20 p.m. Central Time start, Jim, uh, for the White Sox on Friday. And... I could just lose my mind. That game should be at 7 o'clock. I don't know why you're playing a Friday afternoon game when most people are working, but whatever. 85% of the world is working. (sighs) It just blows my mind. Anyway, Wrigley's got lights. That's what I always say uh, in that situation. Anyways, okay. So I shared my thoughts about this series and how it just seems like it's pretty flat coming into what is usually a pretty exciting weekend between the White Mm -hmm. Sox and Cubs. We get two weekends this season in 2021. How are you feeling about this series, Jim, for the White Sox as they participate in this Crosstown Classic and they face the Cubs for the first time? Well, my read on the situation from outside, but following enough Cubs coverage and listening to some of the score is that just it's Cubs are still kind of in mourning, or at least fans are just, uh, they're, they're going through dabda when it comes to the uh, stages of grief. And, and there's uh, Tom Ricketts is trying to build a sports book on top of Wrigley, or adjacent or on top of Wrigley Field, and that's just, you know, just rubbing people the wrong way. So they're kind of not looking, you know, they're half watching the Cubs or not wanting to and seeing Anthony Rizzo hitting homers elsewhere and Javier Baez doing Javier Baez things in New York. It's just, I think there's a lot of not wanting to look and it's hard to tell exactly what the Cubs are because they played the Rockies uh, between Coors Field and, and the Rockies own problems. Like it's just a hard, hard to know what they have left, like what kind of energy they're playing with, what kind of talent they're playing with, you know, energy only goes so far if you're just hitting grounders and going back to the dugout. But uh, this should be, I think, a, a test for them facing, you know, a good White Sox pitching staff. The, the White Sox offense is an entirely different thing, but the pitching staff is still stout just when it comes to just what they can produce without Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and uh, even Jock Peterson, you know, trading him just what they have left, this might be either kind of, you, know, you can throw out the record books when the Cubs and White Sox play each other, just a different atmosphere. Or, you know, this could be the kind of case where the talent shortage that the Cubs are dealing with just shows up and, you know, Lance Lynn has an easy-ish time and Dylan Cease does what he's been doing against teams that are uh, below 500. It's, it's going to be uh, kind of open-ended just because I think this is a, a very, very new Cubs era. <laughs> Uh, a stunningly uh, abrupt end to the old one. So I think a lot of people don't know what the Cubs team is. And I think I'm guessing the lack of interest is due to Cubs fans not really being interested in wanting to know what this Cubs team is because it seems like, you know, we, we just went through a rebuild with a whole bunch of, uh, you know, trying to find entertainment with players we knew who weren't going to stick around. <laughs> I think uh, the, the the Cubs are just starting that and in the middle of a season, which I think makes it easier to bow out and focus on other fun summer things. Yeah, the Chicago Cubs on June 1st were 30-23, and, and there was a thought that maybe this would be 
the last stands type of situation for the Cubs in which the championship core would force the Cubs hand and stick together and try to win the National League Central. Since June 1st, the Chicago Cubs are 20 and 35. Uh, so they're not playing very good baseball. And this is one of those series, mm-hmm. Jim, that I think the White Sox have everything to lose. If they sweep the Cubs, great. Pat yourself on the back. This is not a very good Cubs team anymore. We're not going to be able to recognize half the guys in the lineup because we just don't follow the Cubs farm system as closely as we do with the White Sox farm system. Like you're going to have to be a diehard Cubs fan to recognize and understand the talent skill level for all of the position players the Cubs are going to trot out. Uh, The pitchers we know about, Mm -hmm. uh, but there's still, there's going to be a lot of new faces in this series. Uh, If the White Sox lose this series, then there's going to be even more heat on the way that the White Sox have been playing since the all-star break, because this Cubs team is not good. And if you can't beat Mm -hmm. this Cubs team that made all of these significant trades, then then what's going on? Where is this next jolt coming from? Is this team waiting for Luis Robert to rejoin them? Are they waiting to have Yasmani mm-hmm. Grandal in the lineup? Those are the questions that we're going to be asking if the White Sox continue to not play well over this weekend. So that's why I think they got everything to lose. You, you sweep the Cubs and you dominate them. Yeah, you could brag about it to your Cubs fan, uh, your friends that are Cubs fans, but they don't care. They've checked out on July 31st. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's why I just think the White Sox have everything to lose in this series and, and not much to gain. Yeah, I, I think I think when it's a National League park, I think it may, that's maybe the one thing that changes the equation a bit. Like, it's not the White Sox team that will be running. They'll be running the lineup. They'll be running out through the rest of the American League. Uh, regular season and postseason. So I think, you know, if they were playing at home and they lost yeah. the series and they had, you know, uh, you, you had your, you didn't have to choose between uh, Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn, or you didn't have to put like them in the corners around Adam Engel. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd feel uh, more embarrassed <laughs> versus, you know, having to play with one slugger tied behind your back basically because uh, of national league rules. But it is a, you know, I think it is a key series in that, you know, you have the Cubs and then you have the twins afterwards and then it's Yankees, A's, Rays, Blue Jays. So I think that's, you want at least to show something against these teams that have traded guys away that are, are packing it in for the rest of 2021 before the gauntlet shows. I mean, fortunately, you know, this is what you have the cushion for. Uh, Cleveland might be going through its own mourning period a little bit to where just they won't be able to summon momentum themselves. But this is, I think that's, this is when, uh, you know, having a good offensive showing at Wrigley field and then taking it to target field just means something just because it's not like the task gets any easier. I mean, you know, baseball is random enough to where maybe they just find what they've been missing against better teams, which sometimes happens, but it would seem like uh, the schedule is setting up to try to give them a runway. Hendricks does pitch well, but if you look at the career numbers, I mean, Jose Abreu hit Hendricks very, very well in his career. Mm -hmm. Jose Abreu's eight for 14 against Hendricks with the home run. Tim Anderson has six hits and 13 plate appearances against Hendricks. Uh, So hopefully Abreu and Anderson continue those good vibes and they perform well Friday afternoon. I can't believe that is a Friday afternoon game. (laughs) Uh, I still can't believe it. Um, 
yeah, just kind of crazy. But uh, I, I, I got, I do have to say that Hendricks had a rough start to the season. Uh, he had a seven point five four ERA after the month of April, uh, and he hasn't suffered a loss in a game since May. So he has mm-hmm. pitched very well. He's got a, he had a three ERA in the month of July at a two point nine seven uh, ERA for the month of June. So he has been continuing to pitch really well. That might be a low scoring game. Uh, and it's good that the White Sox have Lance Lynn on the mound. And it would be fun if Craig Kimbrell was to make an appearance in that game and hand it off to Liam Hendricks and the White Sox win a low-scoring game. Uh, and Alizé just has the type of stuff that's going to give the righties fits uh, for the White Sox lineup. But lefties do very well against Alizé. Uh, so we'll see if the White Sox left-handed bats can make an impact. But you have kind of a margin of error with Carlos Rodon on the mound, but we're hoping that Carlos Rodon bounces back uh, as it hasn't been as far as he hasn't been Rodon like in, in mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks as uh, he is or now. He has. Well, <laughs> he hasn't been 2021 yes, Rodon like that's, that's a better way of putting it. Uh, and then I I've said my piece about Zach Davies. I don't think he's a very good pitcher. Uh, so I, I hope the White Sox yeah. have fun Sunday night on ABC. I, I guess my expectation is, yeah, the White Sox should sweep the Chicago Cubs. I think it's fair. I mean, Hendricks is good, but he, you know, even I'm looking at his stats since May, and he still gives up hits, gives up the occasional homer, just doesn't walk anybody. Yeah. So, like, his game is not, you know, I, I guess just minimizing the damage from the homers. And uh, that's, you know, I guess good and bad just because the White Sox really aren't taking their walks right now. So if he's not walking, guys, perfect, perhaps, yeah, <laughs> perhaps that's what they need to see. Just somebody who is, you know, willing to give up hits because, uh, he just, that's, that's, he doesn't overpower anybody. Maybe that's something that will weirdly work for them, but yeah, it's when, when you get shut down by, you know, when you, when you struggle against like, you know, uh, Daniel Lynch and you struggle against uh Chris Bubich and Carlos and Hernandez other, like what yeah, Carlos is Hernandez, that about yeah just when you have unremarkable showings against you know and those three pitchers who are capable of good games like I'm not completely writing them off but three in a row and then you go into a game against Hendricks like Hendricks is good but at some point you know if you can't hit the uh pitchers who are scuffling or inconsistent then you have to show up sometime <laughs> if, the, if the scheduling gets harder it's like well you just that's their fault. You know, they, they have to figure out how to straighten themselves out somehow. Well, hopefully they do. And when we talk again, Jim, on Monday, we're talking about a White Sox series win and maybe sweeping the Cubs. And then hopefully, fingers crossed, the return of Luis Robert back to the White Sox as they head to Minneapolis after this series in Chicago. Weather looks like it's going to be great over the weekend. Uh, Maybe some rain early Friday morning, but shouldn't impact as far as the Friday 1.20 p.m. Central Time start. Uh, But Saturday, the high is 87 degrees, and then on Sunday, it'll reach 90, so be hot in the city of Chicago, and hopefully the White Sox hitters are hitting lots of home runs out in Wrigley Field, and we are talking about, again, a White Sox series win and good vibes heading to Minneapolis. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. For all of those that watch the live stream, thank you guys so much for doing so. Lots of people from Twitter this time around, so I really appreciate it. Uh, If this is your first time watching this show live on the stream, uh, we do obviously stream it out via Twitter 
Periscope, which you could follow us at Socks Machine. You could follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. And you could subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine, which the video recordings are up on our YouTube channel. Um, but for our podcast listeners, uh, if you don't get a chance to watch a live stream because we're doing this at 1030 at night, uh, you can listen to the podcast wherever you subscribe as far as your podcast. And uh, for all those that are still chilling out as far as the live stream or for the first time, uh, for the folks listening for the first time, uh, think about helping support us at patreon.com slash socks machine, where we do provide as far as exclusive content to our Patreon supporters. Our Patreon supporters also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, like we just had the Socks Machine ball caps, our Patreon supporters get the first opportunity to purchase that swag. So if you enjoy our work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine and sign up today. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Mm-hmm.